How does one live in today's world? It's becoming obvious that our well-being depends on everybody around us. Where has the compassion gone? The survival of the fittest tells us if you're compassionate, you're going to be a victim. We come out of the womb, you know, more leaning in the direction of fear than of care. Hi, this is Living with Sunny. I'm your host, Sunny Singh. I'm here with my co-host, Thomas Power. Hi, Thomas. Today, I'm truly excited to introduce our next guest in our conversations, Dr. Joe Loizzo. Joe is a psychotherapist. He is the founder of the Nalanda Institute of Contemplative Science. Welcome, Joe, to the show. Thank you, Sunny. Great to be here. Uh, Joe, one of the things that you mentioned is that um, our culture is sick. Uh, we have a stress-driven mindset. Um, and instead of incorporating kindness, compassion in our lives, we are looking at aggression and violence and competitiveness. Um, why do you think our culture is sick and getting sicker? Well, you know, I think that, you know, there's, there's, his, there's a historical reasons, right? So there's uh, choices that individuals and communities have made over centuries. Um, and then there's the human reasons, the deeper root causes, which is that Unfortunately, we all have a, we all carry our own seeds of affliction and suffering, our destructive habits and emotions acquired over uh, you know evolution. Um, but you know certainly over the last several centuries, maybe five, maybe more, in particular uh, culture in the modern West and in, in Western Europe, uh, you know developed you know in in a kind of uh, very focused mindset on controlling the external environment, using whatever means possible, and a kind of survival of the fittest mentality, a mentality that uh, you know, some called social Darwinism that sort of glorified uh, dominance, violence, a very sort of primitive, you know, what I would think of as a primitive brute uh, competition for uh, whoever is strongest must be superior and, and wins it all. And that kind of culture, uh, you know, connected with a sort of uh, a, a sense of, you know, connected to this sort of uh, patriarchal and, and sort of white supremacy. I don't mean to, to use that charged term, but a certain kind of value in uh, Western European uh, ethnicity as somehow superior to, to others has sort of really driven a culture that had something to prove and was very much oriented in kind of, uh, you know, giving up on improving our lives by improving ourselves, which had been sort of the traditional approach to civilization. Please explain to our audience, what is contemplative science? What does it mean to be contemplative? Beautiful. Great question, Sonny. So what it means is that we are paying attention to what's happening inside of us with a certain quality of mind, right? So normally the stress mind is focused on what's outside and what I need to control or acquire. Um, when we're in our, at our best, though, when we're feeling safe and connected to others in a, in a more human way, uh, we're more able to, to feel what's going on inside of us and maybe even reflect. So, Joe, do you mean, am I interpreting it right? Do you mean that contemplative science means spending time with your own thoughts, just thinking about them, questioning them, see where they came from, rather than any external sources you just sit with yourself some traditions call this inner science 
is a whole different approach to knowledge, which, which starts from inside. And that starts from not just paying attention to our thoughts, but paying attention to our feelings, our emotions, paying attention to our sensations, paying attention to our bodies and how they work. Paying our, and then from that as a, as a vantage point, like clearing the instrument of our own self-awareness or self-observation, we then can study all of reality. We can study the outer world from that point of view, just as in the modern West, we study the mind from matter. There's now some conflicting forces at work. On one side, we talk about self-awareness, connecting with oneself. On the other side, it is a society where saying, instead of everybody winning, it's a winner-takes-all mentality. There's competitiveness over there. There's competitiveness in our schools, in our colleges, in our workplace, in our society. Now, when you look at these conflicting forces, how does, how does one live in today's world? What do I tell my child to compete or to carry everybody with them? Or both can happen. Can both take place at the same time? What do we tell our kids? Practically speaking, uh, you know, in my view, this whole idea that uh, only a few people can get the benefits uh, of a successful life and that therefore we have to, it's, it's sort of like a war of all against wall, a war of all against all, as Thomas Hobbes said. That idea is really just not true. It's, a, it's not only a gross oversimplification, but it's really done harm to our social uh, contract. It's, you know, even Adam Smith, you know, the founder of modern economics, uh, didn't believe that. He, felt that he, he, he said something very similar to what the ancient Buddhists used to say, that the basis of the good life, of, of wealth even, is fellow feeling, is feeling connected to the people in our community, the people around us, the people we deal with. And of course, as we're becoming increasingly interdependent, in part through globalization and the digital uh, world, it's becoming obvious that our well-being, in, you know, depends on everybody around us. So, um, you know, when you start to understand the reality of our total interdependence as living beings, the model of one person winning uh, doesn't make any sense. Now, it also doesn't make sense even for the point of, point of view of self-interest. You might think, well, it's not the biggest picture or ethically the most high, you know, the highest value uh, to just look out for yourself and, and forget about everybody else or, or you know, elbow whoever you need to. Um, but the fact of the matter is that the new science of positive psychology proves what a lot of these ancient traditions taught, which is that beyond a certain level of comfort or safety, uh, which there's already plenty of wealth in, in the planet for everybody on the planet to have that, <laughs> beyond a certain level of wealth and safety, happiness does not increase with increasing uh, goodies. Uh, and, and, you know, either status or, or, um, or material security or, or, or wealth. There's no escape from the fact that we're mammals which means that fundamentally we're wired to be well by connecting with other people. That's what we're learning, and that's what the ancient traditions were trying to teach us when they talk about compassion. But, Joe, people find it hard now to find the right community to belong to. The, the technology is great at connecting us uh, electronically or digitally, but it seems that 
it seems to make us more isolated and more lonely, at least in the mind. How do how do people find the right community to belong to if it's not in their neighborhood? Well, I mean, I certainly think I'm not opposed to virtual community. I think it, it's a powerful force and, you know, or local community for that matter. I think that the, the, the right community is the community that has a welcoming, you know, inclusive spirit that uh, that helps you feel that you belong. Belonging is one of the most important needs for a human being. We're born into the world totally dependent on others, and if we're welcomed into that world, we we grow, we feel well, we grow, we thrive. Um, but if we are, if the welcome is conditional, uh, then we we don't we do not do as well, and we suffer the rest of our lives. So we need to really recognize the value and importance of compassionate community, whether it's online or whether it's in person. Uh, and of course, that depends more on people learning how to cultivate their natural talents for compassion rather than the medium or the neighborhood. Where has the compassion gone? Has it, has it disappeared? Is it anything at all to do with the last 30 years of the internet and everyone being on a machine? Where the compassion went is that, so because we have a negativity bias and we're born in survival mode as human animals, right? Uh, so we don't, we come out of the womb, you know, more leaning in the direction of fear than of care. We're looking for care from others, but we're afraid. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, because that negativity bias uh, is a built-in, uh, you know, kind of default tendency, if a culture doesn't stimulate the, and, and value the development of compassion, children do not learn uh, love and compassion, to use their love and compassion, uh, you know, as, as the engine, as the fuel, the, I call it the clean energy, right, of living. Instead, they rely on the dirty energy of stress. And because our culture, the Western culture for the last five centuries has been moving further and further away from its religious, contemplative, spiritual values, practices, and institutions, essentially we've sort of thrown the compassion out with the bathwater. And, and the survival of the fittest tells us if you're compassionate, you're going, to get, you're going to be a victim. Somebody's going to step on you. So you have to be tough and fierce and angry. In fact, even when I went to medical school, which is all about caring for others, they told me at the door, you know, like, leave your compassion and empathy at the door because it's going to make you weak and not objective, and you're going to harm your clients. Of course, I knew, I knew already because I had studied enough both ancient Western and, and, and Eastern culture that that was garbage. But, but a lot of my peers maybe didn't. Uh, and now, of course, the science has come around. So we, it, it, just, it isn't just an accident and it's not just recent developments. This is a centuries of erosion of an important cultural uh, institution that is to emphasize the, the cultivation of love and compassion and empathy. I feel that you know, we, 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 are, we are discussing compassion and kindness and love and how there is, we are living from fear and from fear our behavior becomes a bit different. Would you say the, you know, being compassionate starts with self-discovery, self-awareness, 
figuring out who you are so you're comfortable in your own skin, you're comfortable in your own sense or state of being. And from there saying, you know, I'm complete, I'm solid. One should not fear compassion then. Is, is that a starting point, you think? Absolutely. You got it exactly, Sonny. That's the tradition is that we first have to learn to take care of ourselves. And often as part of this sort of militaristic or competitive culture, we learn to treat ourselves very harshly. And we have a real inner, you know, harsh inner critic, and we drive ourselves, and we feel that that's somehow the right thing to do. Um, but this other approach to life it says completely the opposite, which is that, you know, we need to start by accepting and caring for ourselves. Just as a mother, if, if we don't have a good good parenting when we're infants, we're not going to be a healthy, sane infant. Uh, so if we can't, if we're not safe within in our own, you know, skin. Because you know, because we're too harsh and we're not understanding ourselves, then you know we're not only are we going to be unhealthy, but we're certainly not in any position to care for others. So we have to start with, in in you know, in very, nowadays we're talking a lot about self-compassion, which is actually a very kind of Western formulation of ancient teachings. But in the traditional teachings, you know, the understanding is you learn to really accept, understand, and care for yourself with a, with present awareness as if you were your own mother or parent, you know, and then based on that, you start to feel better and you naturally start to, you know, uh, feel the empathy and compassion for others that you feel for yourself. It, it's just, it's just, you see that, oh my God, they're, they're suffering too, just, just as I suffered. And so it's not such a big stretch to learn this when we start with ourselves. Joe, um, you know, you have spent decades, you, you have devoted your life to um, studying and incorporating and imbibing the art and science of contemplation. So if you look back uh, over the last 40 plus years, what's your deepest learning? That, that's, a, that's a great question. Try to understand myself uh, as a human being uh, and, and my own, you know, uh, let's just say roots, that is, you know, the connections to the people and culture and traditions that have, that have influenced me to really sort of uh, understand their preciousness and to try to, to be mindful about how to, uh, how to share them, how to bring them into my life and bring them into the world. Uh, you know, uh, you, that's also been, uh, you know, super important uh, to try to, you know, be a bridge uh, from from what came before so that it doesn't get lost, you know. Absolutely wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Um, Joe, it's, it's been a real, real pleasure talking to you. It's There's so many other questions I have, so many things I'd love to talk to you about, uh, which we will hopefully continue by having you on the show again. To our audience, we always end our show with a call to action. We believe that when we have these conversations, we want to inspire you. We want you to do something with the conversation that you've heard. So today's call to action is, is as follows. You look at the mirror. Don't just see the face of the person. Through those eyes, look into your soul. Look into yourself and see what comes to your mind. What speaks to you? And whatever the thought is, is a starting point of self-discovery. Compassion starts with you. Joe, thank you for being on the show. It's been a true pleasure. Thanks, Joe. Same, Brilliant. Same, Thomas. Uh, Sonny, wonderful to share this time with you. And uh, uh, 
you know, I'd love to continue the conversation one way or the other. Okay. And uh, for more information about Joe and about Nalanda Institute, you can go to www.nalandainstitute.org. We want to hear from you. If you have feedback about our show and our conversations, if you have a question, please write to us at livingwithsunny at round.glass.